Anybody besides me excited that we're getting back into the Word series in the book of Ephesians? Do you really mean that? Because I really am excited about it too, and I love it. We're, we're going to be a few uh, weeks in Ephesians before the Sabbath break, which is coming mid-August, and then we're going to jump back into Ephesians in the fall. So it's too much here to kind of grab onto in seven weeks, and so we're going to take a good run at it for a few weeks this summer, get about halfway point, I think, then sometime in the fall we'll come pick up the last part of it, and by the end of the year we've been able to really kind of spend some time with this truth. And hopefully allow this truth to get deep down inside our lives. We're putting all of this under the banner of the question, who do you think you are? Anybody ever said that to you before? So who do you think you are? It wasn't positive, was it? It always comes preceded by something like, you jerk, who do you think you are? (laughs) You know, where did you get off? Who do you think you are? It's because we've said something stupid or acted stupid or, you know, we've done something really arrogant or prideful or we've hurt somebody and they ask the question, so who do you think you are? Well, I want to try to redeem the question if I can as we walk through this book together because it's important that you and I get the right answer to that question. And everybody has an answer. That's probably the amazing thing about today is that everybody sitting in the building has an answer to that question, who do you think you are? You think you're somebody. And that, that answer is being shaped and informed all day long every day. It's being informed and shaped by so many things that are bombarding our lives. We are constantly being inundated with information with the intent of changing the way we feel and think about ourselves. And a lot of times, whether our day's going up, we feel pretty good about ourselves. Our day's going down, we don't feel so good about ourselves. Other people feel good about us, we feel pretty good about ourselves. Some other people don't feel so good about us, we don't feel so good about ourselves. And there's information just coming almost faster than we can process it. We have the privilege um, and the pain of living in the most amazing technological moment in humanity. And that means that constantly we're available to other people for their input and their opinions in our lives. They say, I don't know, have you, anybody texting here, a few people here? They say, let me talk about teenagers because they always study teenagers. They're easier to study. Um, they said the average teenager, you guys can see whether you think this is right or not. The average teenager sends and receives 60 text messages every day. That's just on average. Some of you have sent 60 text messages since you got in the building with a person on your row. So, I mean, some of you are above average, you know? Others of you have just figured out, you know, how to, how to work the space bar, you know? And um, so a little less text messaging going on. But think about that. And what's in those messages? A lot of them are K, smiley face, heart. You know, we just got a lot of emoticons going back and forth in some of them. But even those guys are saying something to us. But some of them say, you're a jerk. And then you go, whoa, well, thank you very much for that input into who do you think you are. Well, then there's emails coming at us all the time for for the adults. That's adult text, you know, um, is an email. And there's emails coming in by the dozens every day. And they're informing our world. Some of them, we know what's in them. We don't want to open them because we know what's in them. Some of them, we know what's in them. We do want to open them because we know what's in them. Some of them, we're not sure what's in them. And we're not going to open them because we don't even want to know what's in them because we're not sure what's in them. And other times, we just hit delete and they go to our spam folder and they go in the trash and we never even see them because there's some kind of junk mail that somebody's sending us, but all the while, information's coming. Then you got people around you. You got your parents. You got your roommates. You got your friends. You got the people you work with. You got the people in your past. They're all speaking into your life. They're all saying something about who you are. Then you've got yourself. Maybe in some cases, the most dangerous voice going on is not what we're getting from the outside. It's what we're getting from the inside. And constantly, all day long, we're talking to ourselves and informing ourselves as to who we think we are. Add to that, there's an ad world surrounding us. Everybody's heard it a jillion times, but you were bombarded coming here tonight. You can't leave your house and come to meet and worship without being bombarded with people who want to tell you what you need. Their advertising world isn't telling you that you're great. The ad world isn't telling you that you're awesome. The ad world isn't telling you that you're doing fine. The ad world is predicated on the idea that you're not doing great and you're not doing as fine as you ought to be doing. 
So we're going to tell you how you can be doing greater and how you can be doing finer and how you can feel better about yourself. If you can get these genes, friends, then you're going to be feeling better about yourself because these are the genes you need right here. And immediately you go, I don't have those genes. I can't afford those genes. I don't know where you get those genes, but it looks like all the cool people have those genes. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, maybe I don't have the right genes. And so that's on a level that some people don't care. You got one pair of jeans, you're rocking them till Jesus comes and God bless you. And that's awesome. And they still look good, you know? amazing. Um, and others of you, it might be something different. Are you driving the right car? Do you live in the right neighborhood? Are you going on the right vacation destination? Do you have the right cell phone carrier? And on and on and on and on, the information's coming. And what it's telling you is you don't look good enough, and you're not wearing good enough, and you're not driving good enough, and you're not living good enough. But if you had this and this and this and this, you would be. It's looking at you and saying, you ought to look like this. You ought to have this kind of body shape. You ought to be about this size clothing, and we can tell you how to get there. And we block out about 99% of that, but all day long, some of it breaks through. And it informs the question, who do you think you are? And then there's an adversary in the equation. He's an adversary of God, so he's an adversary of you. And he's always speaking into that question. John 8 says about him, he's the father of lies. He spoke lies from the beginning. When he speaks forth, he speaks out of his own native language, which is lying, and that there is no truth in him. And that adversary speaks to us all day long. And he's answering for us the question, who do you think you are? And then there's one voice. Out of all of that sea of information bombarding us, there is one singular voice. It is the voice of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth and the one who is the instigator and inventor of you. And that voice is speaking into our lives, also wanting to inform the question and the answer, who do you think you are? And it's imperative in this series because as God speaks to us through this little letter, what he's wanting to do is help us get our hearts and our heads around his commentary on who we really are. And it's really, really, really important. Because as we believe, this is how then we're going to go and live. Whoever you think you are, that's how you're going to live out your life. Whatever you think is true about you is going to determine how you view the future path and the destiny of your life. Your destiny is tied to your concept and belief about who God is and who you are. So we've got to get this part right. And at the end of the day, when we're done here, our goal is not to have said, oh, Passion City Church, we did an amazing deep dive into the book of Ephesians and filled up our lives and our journals with so much more spiritual knowledge about the truth and the Word of God. That is not our goal. Our goal isn't to get through and say, man, we really, really tore that Ephesians apart and put it all back together again. That's not the goal. The goal is that at the end of the day, this Word will become the living voice of God, and it will break through the text, through the ads, through the emails, through what your parents said or your friends said or your past said or what you said or the enemy said, and the truth of God's Word and His voice will break into your heart, and you will embrace and believe what God says about who who you are. This is the goal. This is the hope of the book and the letter that we're diving in together. And that's the possibility that we all hold tonight. That's the, that's the beauty tonight. You came in the door thinking one thing, it's possible. You could walk out of this building tonight believing something else is true about you. And in the process of that, beginning a whole new destiny, with God. Just to jump up to the 30,000 foot level, I know a lot of you are around scripture, you, you know the book of Ephesians, some of you are new to church and new to scripture and new to this whole idea of Jesus. So let me just jump up for a minute to the 30,000 foot level and help us understand this letter to the church at Ephesus called Ephesians, the letter, what it's really all about. The letter's written by a guy named Paul, we're going to talk about that in one second, in the year, say, about 62 A.D., now, you're going to find scholars who say it could have been 59 or 60 or 61 or 63, but 62 is a good median 
in there, and a lot of scholars will believe 61, 62, so let's just go with 62. So Jesus has come to earth. He's given his life for the sins of mankind, crucified in broad daylight, buried, dead, but raised from the dead by the power of God, ascended back into heaven after appearing to many witnesses, a promised Holy Spirit comes, and the church is born, the church that we're a part of tonight, and it starts spreading all over the known world. And now we're somewhere around 30 years later, and little churches have been planted all around, particularly Asia Minor, and the known world of the time. And in this context of the early fledgling church, God is writing through Paul to one of these groups of believers a letter, this letter to the Ephesians, which ended up being circulated to all the known churches of that day. And it's a letter reminding people that you are the body of Christ in the world. That's sort of a theme you're going to see all the way from beginning to end. The letter is just reminding these brand new early church believers, hey, you're the body of Christ. You're the people of God. Collectively and personally, you are joined together and joined to Jesus and you're God's people in the world. So therefore, take on who you are and live out who you are in the world. Now, in this moment, the whole Jewish system is still very strong. If we just take one more step back, you understand when Jesus was born, he was born into a region and a time where the system of belief was born out of Judaism, and it was an amazing system because God had put it in place. It was built around a promise of a Messiah. It was built up on the law that God had given and the testimony of the prophets and there were holy days and religious festivals and, and things to observe and there was a way to enter into the temple and a way to bring sacrifices of worship, all pointing towards a coming king and a coming Messiah who would in fact take away the sins of the whole wide world. And Jesus was born into that system as that Messiah gave his life for the sins of the world, but even though Jesus came, did miraculous things, showed the power of God, a lot of people in that system didn't buy it. A, he came from the wrong town, he came from a, from a sort of low-class family, he couldn't sort of be the Messiah because he really didn't set up a kingdom, he came to serve and not to be served, and they were like, this can't be the guy. And then he's crucified, really at their hands on a hill outside Jerusalem, and they're thinking, we got to get rid of this guy so we can keep on the plan of waiting for the promise of God. Hey, don't miss the fact that God has already brought his promise because it didn't come in the way that you were looking for it. A lot of times, we're still working the system, and God has already given the promise. And in this case, they'd already received what God had said, but they didn't want to rock the boat, and they didn't want to lose their position of power, so they kept on plugging with the system. And this church is being born just proclaiming resurrection. Jesus came and died and rose again. And the system is saying, okay, well, even if you do believe in Jesus, you still got to do the system. And Paul is coming into this context as someone who'd been in the Jewish system and yet met Christ. And in the midst of that religion, a fledgling church, and the philosophy of the day that just said, basically, you don't even need any of this truth. You can find your own way through a number of different philosophical paths. In the middle of all that swirl, God says, I, I need my voice in the equation. And through the Apostle Paul, he begins to speak a word to a fledgling church about who they are. We're going to take a couple of verses off the top here and then ending down to verse 14. But beginning Ephesians 1, verse 1, pretty powerful stuff. It says this, and for those of you listening later in the day, uh, we've already read our section today, both in NIV and heard it in the message. been beautiful to hear all together. But again, jumping into verse 1, Ephesians 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God... To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's our text for right now. See that powerful? They get one amen, then get one preach it, brother. No, I didn't see anybody writing anything down. Because what? That's the opening. That's like, hey, man, what's up? That's like, hey, bro, good to talk to you. That's like, dear so-and-so, I'm writing you this letter today, and I greet you, blah, 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 blah. It's the opening salutation. But I got to tell you, the opening salutation of anything in the Word of God is full of power. And these two verses unpack the whole heartbeat of the letter and the spirit and the heartbeat of what God is saying in Ephesians as a whole. Let me just lift up four takeaways from the first two verses in Ephesians chapter one. I know some of you are like, man, I was really hoping we get down to verse 21. That's where I've been praying all week long. We're gonna get there, but we're jumping off at verse one and verse two with four huge takeaways and then a little bit of a tie-in at the very end. First takeaway is this, that God has the power to change our names and to change our destiny. God has the power, you can clap for that if you want to, to change our name and to change our destiny. See, for me, I cannot get into Ephesians without stopping at the first word. You're like, Louis, I knew you were gonna do this to us. I knew it, I knew I shouldn't have read ahead because I knew you were gonna haul you know, all of us right to the first verse to the first word and just park it right there. And that's what we're doing because it opens up with a gospel in a name because it's written by the apostle Paul. He says of himself that I am an apostle, that's an emissary, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm on a mission for Jesus by the will of God. And I'm writing to you, letting you know who's writing and whose writing is Paul. And the reason that's important is because that tells us right out of the chute that God has the power to change our name and to change our destiny. Now, almost everybody here, I, I know we've got a, a sort of a, a church crowd of people that have been around teaching for a while, but I'm leaning towards somebody tonight that sort of just showed up and you're like, I'm catching up, Louis, so can you, can you kind of give me just a little bit more so I can join in with what everybody's, you know, kind of understanding tonight? And I'm with you tonight because the story, the bigger backstory here is when that little church was born, when the gospel and the resurrection started to be proclaimed, those Jewish leaders were not just against the spread of the story of the resurrection. They were trying to squash the spread of the story of resurrection. And the leading guy who was at their hand and authority to stamp out the early faith in Jesus Christ was a man named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a perfect candidate to be sort of the, 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 the trailblazer of shutting down faith as early as possible. Saul, the name itself means small or diminutive. So we know that he wasn't like a big giant, you know, broad-shouldered kind of 6'5", six, 6'4 six, guy. He was small in stature and possibly even had some kind of physical infirmity, that, a weakness in him that caused him to even seem smaller because maybe he had a limp or maybe he had some sort of a deficiency that added into the mix. So we got a little bitty guy, but he's brilliant. We know from his own story in another letter that he was born into the right Jewish family. He had a Roman background, so he's a Roman citizen, but born into a Jewish family. He was educated in the best of schools. He had the brightest of minds. He had the incredible intellect and the ability to articulate his position greater than probably anybody else in his day. And he was way bought in to the leadership role in the Jewish religious system of the day. And he was a little bitty guy, and he probably didn't like being pushed down all of his life. And so coming out of that vein was coming this venomous hatred toward the resurrection story of Jesus. And he had the authority to throw Christians in prison he had the authority to ransack people's houses. He even had the authority to take people's lives if that's what was required to shut them up. And he did. And one day on a, on a road to a destination of a city that he was excited about getting to because he knew there were Christians that were active there, on the way he met Jesus Christ in a vision 
And as the story of Acts unfolds to us, the vision of Jesus was so powerful, it knocked Saul of Tarsus to, his, to the ground, and it physically blinded him, the radiance of Jesus. And Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the encounter that he had with the risen Jesus Christ, the vision that he had, shut him down, ended up several days, couldn't see, and at the end of the time, God sent a a representative to him to say, hey, all this has happened for this reason. God has chosen to take you out of the crushing the gospel business, business and into the spreading the gospel business. He's chosen to take you out of being a hater of the faith and to open your eyes to see the faith. You're no longer gonna be the persecutor of the church. You're gonna be the perpetuator of the church. You got a whole new mission, buddy. And that Jesus that you saw on the way, that revelation that you saw on the way, that beauty, that awesomeness, that glory that you saw on the way and the grace that he's given into your life, that now is going to be what propels you all throughout the known world. You're going to be an ambassador and an apostle of Jesus Christ. You're going to go before kings. As soon as his eyes were open, that's what they said to him. You're going to take the message before kings and before rulers all throughout this world. The the religious system, they've already had their chance to hear about Jesus. You're going to take this story to the whole wide world. And his name was changed in that encounter from Saul of Tarsus to Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that tells us before we get past one word, I mean, I'm getting a highlighter out and I'm highlighting Paul. I'm circling Paul. I'm journaling about Paul. I'm fired up about Paul. People say, what are you reading in scripture? Paul, bro. I just want to give you Paul. Memorize that, man. Settle in on that. Take a deep breath out of that. That's power right there, people, because it was Saul changed to Paul. It was a dreadful past changed to an amazing, hopeful future. God can do this, people. He can change our names, and he can change our destiny. That means that, that we're not what we were. Because this guy was a self-righteous, religious zealot. And he became a proclaimer of the peace and the grace that are found in Jesus. And so please don't leave tonight thinking when we ask the question, who do you think you are? You think, well, I'm somebody who's never going to change. Don't let that be the answer to the question tonight because God can change your name. I don't know what your parents have said about you. I don't know what you've said about you. I don't know what circumstances have said about you. I don't know what about anybody else has spoken into your life, but I'm telling you, God wants to speak into your life, and he wants to redefine your picture of who you are, and he wants you to awaken in this very moment to the possibility and the potential that he can literally turn your world around. And you may think, Louis, I'm the worst of the worst, and God can go, I know, Paul, I've dealt with that before. I can work with that. And he can turn your whole world around. You may have been a hater of the church. Who knows? You're going to be a builder of the church. You may have tried to squash faith in God. Who knows? Maybe you're going to be one who births faith in God in a whole generation of people. Maybe you thought, I've lost my shot and my chance to be a part of what God's doing. And God's saying, oh, no, you haven't. You're going to have such a big role in my future plans for my people. It's going to blow your mind. I'm the one who takes Saul to Paul. I change people's names. I change people's destiny, and I can do that in your life as well. The second big takeaway tonight is is that our circumstances don't in any way inhibit God from fulfilling his plans and purposes for his people, his church, and our lives. So don't let the answer to the question be, who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm a person who is stuck in XYZ circumstance, and because of that, nothing great's going to ever happen in my life. Can I just remind us all that when Paul started writing this letter and wrote the word Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he was writing it with a chain on his wrist. He left Jerusalem, planted churches around the known world, one of which was in a little town called Ephesus, a little port city, a very important city in the known world. Hundreds of thousands of people lived there. It was a bustling place for this time and age. And when Paul had arrived in Ephesus, it says he stayed there two years, poured his life out. 
prayed for people, raised people up in truth, preached the word of God, proclaimed the story of the resurrection of Jesus, worked with his own hands, sacrificed his own life to raise up a little church that could be a beacon of light in the city of Ephesus. And so now he's left that journey. He's returned to Jerusalem. When he gets there, the religious leaders want to take him out. And so the Romans, because he's a Roman citizen, slip him out to the port city of Caesarea. He stays there under Felix for a year or two. And then finally Felix uh, goes away and a new guy comes to be in charge. And and the the religious leaders are after him again. And he says, look, these guys are going to take me out of the game. So he pulls his Roman citizen card out and says, I have the right to be heard by the leaders in Rome and to be judged and tried by my own people. And so the religious leaders of Jerusalem have to let him go, and he's shipped on a boat to Rome, just as God said he would be. He's going to take the gospel now to kings and to the emperor of the known world. He ends up in Rome, still under arrest, and for two years he's in Rome under what most likely is house arrest, under the emperor Nero, who became the first non-religious persecutor of the faith of Christ in the world. So much so that in 64 AD, 65 AD, Nero started lighting up Christians to provide a glow for his garden at night. And in that environment, under house arrest, not free to move around, literally in chains, Paul begins to write this letter, as the scripture says, being moved by the Holy Spirit of God, using a man like you and me to write the literal words and voice of God to his people. And Paul doesn't begin and say, hey, you know, I wanted to do something great and encourage you guys. I've heard a little bit about what's going on in Ephesus, and I really have a heart for you guys, and I really want to encourage you, but I can't do that now because I'm under house arrest. I heard that there's issues going on among the people. There's a little division happening. There's some people who've lost the plot. There's a few people who've forgotten who they are. We've forgotten that we're the body of Christ. And I really want to speak back into your circumstance, but I'd love to do that. But I can't come right now because I'm under house arrest. No, he just says, you know what? Even when you're under house arrest, the Holy Spirit can still come over your life in a powerful way. And so in chains, the Holy Spirit says, I'm about to use you to write down the voice of God that's not only going to change these people, be circulated to all the cities of the known world and to all the churches of the day, but to the church at Passion City Church, your letter is going to be circulated because, hey, guess what? Your circumstances can't limit me from doing what I want to do through your life. You may be under arrest, but you are still free to be used by the Spirit of God to do whatever it is that God wants to do in and through your life. That is a big takeaway for me in this passage. Because some of us have really narrowly defined who we are based on the circumstances we found ourselves in. And God's reminding you tonight that he is far greater than your circumstances. And whatever they are, they will never hinder God from doing what he wants to do in our lives. The third takeaway in that first two verses for me is that God always starts with who we are, not with what we do. And I love this. It says in the second part of verse 1, it says, Apostle of Christ by the will of God to the, can you say this word with me? It's not a word we use a lot. To the, oh, come on, say it with me. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm reading out of NIV 1984. They're doing away with this translation. I don't know why. Nobody called me. Nobody asked me. But I love this particular way that this is written because I love that word in this text. Now, the the other words that come out of the translation are holy ones, and that's awesome, and we're going to get there. But I love the word that's been translated into saints because what it says is that even at the beginning, God is starting with who we are before God starts talking about what we do. 
Now, that's opposite of religion. Religion starts with what you do and kind of works its way towards what you might become. Maybe you've sort of gotten caught up in that in your life. If I do enough good things and change enough behaviorally in my life, I might can become the person that God wants me to become. God doesn't work like that. God starts with an act of faith where we join our lives to Jesus and something happens inside of us and we become a brand new creature in Jesus Christ. And he starts with who we've become and then he works his way to how we live and what the outcome of our identity is in the way that we live our lives. He always starts with who you are. That's why the question is imperative and the question tonight isn't over the book of Ephesians, what do you do? The question is, who do you think you are? Because who you think you are is ultimately going to determine what you do. And if you think that you're just a sinner saved by grace, it is a high likelihood that you're just going to sin and need some more grace. But he used the word saints. Now, these were not four people carved into the top of the church building. He wasn't writing here to one old lady sitting in the back of the church. He's looking at the teenagers, the middle schoolers, the little kids who put their faith in Christ, the moms, the dads, the grandmas, the grandpas, and to all of them, he's saying, hey, I'm Paul and you're saints. We got to get that straight before we go much further because I'm a miracle and so are you. My life and destiny has been changed and so has yours. My name's been changed and your name's been changed too. You are not just sinners. You are saints or the literal translation, you are the holy ones of God because of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, you don't just get to be a holy one because you like the sound of that. He said, you get to be a holy one because you have put your faith in Christ. It says, to the faithful in Christ. The people who said, I believe Jesus came, died for the sins of the world, was buried for my death, was raised by the power of God, and is giving me life because I'm trusting in him. And when that happens, Something changes inside of us. We are born again to brand new life. And that brand new life came from God. And our identity now is that we are the holy ones made holy in Christ by God, through grace, by faith. We are now the saints of God in the world. Now, I grew up in church, and a lot of you guys did too. And we bought into this idea, right? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Have you heard that somewhere along the way in life? It works out great because it just explains why we keep living messed up and jacked up lives. Well, why'd you do that? I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. Just a beggar helping another beggar find bread. And we buy into this. Now, can we sin? Hello? Yes. Are we just sinners saved by grace? No. If we were, letter would have read like this, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the sinners at Ephesus who are saved by grace. <laughs> but that's not the way the letter opens to you and me tonight because here's the thing. The, the outcome of this letter isn't more sinning. The outcome of this letter is more holy living. And so to get more holy living, God needs to start with who we are. And if he wants holy living, he's got to convince us that we're holy people already in Jesus Christ. So he starts with holy people so he can work his way toward holy living. He doesn't start with you're just a sinner because that leads to just a whole lot more sinning. You can sin. Yes, you can. And so can I, and you do, and I do, but that's not who we are. We are saints. Hello, say it with me. We are saints of God in Christ, holy ones of God. You're like, hello, you just undid about 20 years of theology for me right there in a couple of minutes. I know that's the power of the voice of truth. The enemy's not going to tell you that. The enemy is not going to tell you that. Most churches aren't even going to tell you that for crying out loud. Because I think churches are so filled with, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I've, I mean, our church is probably filled right now with people thinking, if you want to change the, the way that you are, you change the way that you live. There's very few of us that are gathering in worship coming around this core idea, God changed who I am. And that's what changes what I do. I don't change what I do so that I can change who I am. I got grace first, and grace first means God changed my identity. He changed who I am. 
And because of who I am, that informs the way I live. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful ones in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth big takeaway, the, the way of Jesus is the way of grace and peace. That's going to be the outcome of this word and this voice of truth getting inside of us and redefining us. The outcome, you're going to know it by these two things. You're going to be marked by grace, which means less striving, less trying, and more trusting God's power to do what only God can do. And you're gonna, your life's going to be marked by peace. That means less fighting, less warring, less contention, less going to bed angry at night. Unless anger between you and the people around you and more peacefulness because the way of Jesus is the way of grace and the way of peace. And I have a hunch that everybody sitting here today wants more grace and more peace in your path. And that's the way of Jesus. And it comes not from us, but from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's true of every person in the building who can come around this little phrase, which is just permeating all through these first few chapters of Ephesians, and it is the two words, in Christ. So how does this all happen? All of this outcomes that we take away, they all happen because we are now joined together with Jesus. The, the phrase here, it's, it's right here in, in the second verse. I mean, at the end of the first verse, it says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, what I want you to do, no matter what translation you have, this week, I want you to start reading, and every time you come to the phrase, in Christ, or in the beloved, which means Jesus in this context, or in the Holy One, or in the Son of God, or in Him, I want you to stop and circle it, and I want you just to pause on it for a minute, and I want you to be amazed at how many times these verses are strung together together with the hinge of our new position in Christ. What does that mean? It means that when we put our faith in Jesus, we didn't join the church, we joined up with Jesus. It means that the goal isn't to get inside the building, the goal is to get into the person of Christ. And when we put our faith in Christ, our life and our story and our past and our history and our present and our future are inseparably joined together with Jesus' past and his story and his present and his future. Our abilities joined to his ability. Our, our dreams are joined to his dreams. Our upsides joined to his upside. Our destiny is joined to his destiny. We are forever and inexplicably linked together by faith for all time. When we come to brand new life, that life is found in Christ, not just in mentally believing in Christ, not signing up to Christ, not, not coming to make a commitment to Christ, but literally joining our life in his life, then we receive life, and the life we receive is his life. Have you ever used the phrase, man, we're in, we're in? You ever try to get somewhere and know somebody and have someone make a phone call, and then that person made a phone call, and then finally you said, I got it, we're in, we're in. Some of you guys in business and you're trying to get in that right group in your company, right? You're trying to get work the system and get to the right building, to the right little group, to the right management team, to the where the happening things going on. And finally one day you got the email, you had the meeting, and you walked away and you said, yeah, I, I am in. I'm in. Some of you kids trying to get in the right group at school, and maybe you didn't say it consciously, but you've been kind of hoping to sort of get in because you've been out. And when you finally got in, something kind of settled over and you're like, all right, I think it happened. I think I'm in. What does that mean? It means that now I've been joined in to the environment, the circumstance, the people, the relationships, the access and opportunity that I've been hoping for. You hear people say it all the time. Oh, can you go to so-and-so? No, I used to have an in, but I don't have it anymore. I used to know somebody, but I don't know them anymore. Back when so-and-so was there, I could just make a phone call and we were in, man. Me and you, I could get me and you both in, but now we can't get in because of blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are now in. You are in him, in the family, 
in faith, in a new destiny, in a new history, with new access, new opportunity, and new possibility for all time's sake, not to ever be revoked because your life has been found in and joined to Jesus Christ. We are in him. So good, another balloon came down. I love that. One little celebration coming down right at the end. I wanted to check this out. So I, I took a pen, and in, in the first couple of chapters, I actually did it all the way through the book, but everywhere that little phrase appeared, I just put a little tiny dot. I didn't want to underline it all because that's just going to be a lot of writing because it's in here all over the place. But 10 times in the first 14 verses, the phrase is used in Christ. 10 times in 14 verses. You're blessed in him. You're redeemed in him. You were chosen in him. You've been made aware of the plans of God in him. In Christ, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you've been loved. In Christ is where the hope comes. It's in him. It's not in just a belief about him. It's actually taking up residence in him and being in Christ, everything changes. Our identity changes. And what I want to happen in my life more and more in these days and what I want to happen in our church more and more in these days is I want us to move away from self and more to a new identity, and that is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Away from who I am and more to who I am in Christ, but more importantly, who Christ is in me. I don't want us to be thinking, well, it's just me, because it's not just me, because I've been joined together with Christ. I am now in him. That's how all this is going to operate in this letter of Ephesians. It's going to all operate out of the position of being in him by faith, joined together with him. I don't know if you guys are on Instagram or not. I like Instagram. Instagram is a way that we can share our life with our friends in photos. Isn't that beautiful? And so you don't have to use words anymore. And I like that because that's a little more convenient sometimes. You're just like, hey, we're eating a hot dog. You don't have to say anything. It's just like, we're eating a hot dog. And they're like, oh, you're eating a hot dog. That's cool. What kind of hot dog is it? And who's so-and-so in the picture? And then you, you know, send one out and say, hey, we're on a, on a roller coaster. And, oh, you're on a roller coaster. That's great. Well, we're at the beach. Well, I'm doing laundry. Well, great. And it's just a way to communicate in pictures to people very simply now. Facebook runs uh, Instagram, and so you know they're going to mess it up sooner or later. And now we've got video coming on on Instagram, and maybe you love it, but I'm, the jury's still out for me a little bit on that. And, uh, but nonetheless, I love it. And so if you're not on Instagram, join us, the rest of the world, in uh, sharing our lives together through photos. You'll, you'll, you'll come to find it is amazing. And when you're sharing your life in photos, either via Twitter or an Instagram, you use a hashtag. Some of you are like, what is the hashtag? The hashtag just puts you in a lane with other people who kind of understand the conversation and the language that you're speaking at the present moment. So I'm having a hot dog, YOLO, you know? And so everybody goes, yes, right on to that. I'm going to have two hot dogs because you only live once, right? And so there's like this conversation conversation is going, eventually the whole world's just going to be little emoticons and we're not going to have to use words. Words are going away, but hashtags for now are sort of the next step to doing away with the English language altogether. I went and researched the number five, number, the top five hashtags on Instagram. Does anybody know what the number one hashtag on Instagram is? What would you think? Love, number one hashtag. So people, you post something and, and other people are, love, love it, love you, love the hot dog, love your outfit, <laughs> love the mountains, love, 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 love. And number two is Instagood, number two hashtag. Number three hashtag, I'm going to skip over. Number four hashtag is, um, no, you can say it, I just want to come back to it, is cute, is number four hashtag. And number five hashtag is TBD. And um, most of you know what TBD is. If you don't, talk to somebody on Instagram. They'll fill you in. If you feel left out, I'm sorry. It is a, a free world. You can download it onto your phone. It's, it's awesome. Instagram, get there. Number three, what do you think the number three hashtag is? Me. Me. You know what that means? It means that if you go into your Instagram, go to the search bar, put in hashtag me, and hit search, it's going to pull up, theoretically, every photo that has that hashtag associated with it. And right now, this is in some research that was done just two months ago. Right now, or at the time two months ago when this was done by ReadWrite, there were 100 million photographs with the hashtag meet. 
Every now and then on Instagram, we want people to know where we are and who we're with and what we're eating and what we're, what's cool. But every now and then, we can't contain it, right? And, and we, we're telling the world all about our life. But at some point, we say, hey, I just can't hold it back anymore. I just need to, to, to give you a photograph of me because, you know, the world probably needs to see me. I know you've seen my car and my dog and my baby and my friend and the lake and blah, blah, blah. But you probably need to see me. So here comes me and you Instagram a picture of yourself. It's called a selfie. A selfie. <laughs> Hashtag selfie. Hashtag me. 100 million photographs of me. Now, we've probably blown so far beyond that in the last two months that we've stacked up a whole lot more, but that's just the way the world works. And I'll tell you why, because the world is hung up on self. Now, I'm not knocking anybody who's doing selfies, okay? So don't get nervous. <laughs> I'm just saying the world is preoccupied with self. But something radically has happened to us. We're no longer just self. We now are in Christ, joined to Christ, linked up with Christ. Our life and Christ's life are woven together now. It's not just me, but it's me in Christ and Christ in me. But you got these friends. I don't know. Anybody following anybody on Instagram that's like a selfie fanatic? Anybody here? A few people? Yeah. I mean, you, you want to unfollow them, right? But then you don't because it's just entertaining and then you just make fun of them. So, you know, it kind of works out both ways. And so, you know, you're wondering what's behind the selfie, right? Because you see the selfie, and then you know there were probably 50 photographs before the selfie, right? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, I'm going to hair part on the right. No, I'm hair part on the left. No, hair part down the middle. No, hair, no, I'm going to pull the hair back. No, I'm going to get ombre curls, you know? No, I'm, I'm going to do sad face, serious face, smiley face. No, 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 no. Can you get out of my picture? I'm doing a selfie, you know? <laughs> What is amazing to me is you look at people's selfies and they're so self-focused, they don't notice all the laundry all over the floor of their room. Your cat is hanging off the curtains. There's a half-eaten pizza under your bed. And four weeks worth of clothes are blowing up in your bedroom, but man, you look fantastic. With the glasses? No. Not the glasses. And then finally you get one that's world-worthy and you say, this is it. Boom. Here I am. Selfie. That's where that hashtag TBT comes from. Throwback Thursday. That's just a selfie from another day. That's just an easier way to do a selfie. Here I was in kindergarten. Well, we really were wanting to see you in kindergarten. selfies. And I wonder if there's something in this, because I wonder if somehow we're, we're losing the answer to the question, who do you think you are? You know, I'm going to I'm going to take a selfie right now. I, I'm going to, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to Instagram me. Right, here we go. This is going to be awesome. Woo! Do glasses. Not the glasses. Put the glasses. Serious smile. No, no, no. Um, oh, there's two me's. <laughs> me and me. Double me coming, people. You need two of me. Woo. No, wait a minute. I'm going to get you in a selfie. Is it still technically a selfie if you're in it? Who knows? We don't know. We don't care. Okay, I'm going to get you guys in it, okay? Uh, I'm going to do the glasses because I like the glasses. No, I'm not going to do the glasses. Um, and I'm going to get you in it, okay? So here we go. Who's ready? Um, you're in it, by the way. Could you just act a little more enthusiastic right there if you don't mind? You're, you're in the photo. Okay, here we go. Um, this is 5 o'clock, Passion City Church. Yeah, you're not in it anymore, so you can relax. Uh, here we go. I'm on video. I'm sending that right now. Hang on. Uh, I'm not going to use a filter because we don't have time. I am going to use a hashtag. And I just turned 55, so bear with me while I type with one finger. And need my glasses. 
And I'm going to add a couple of hashtags here because the more hashtags, the merrier, people. You cannot have too many hashtags. Excuse me, I got a little correction coming. Just bear with me. I'm doing the best I can under the circumstances. I'm not an iPhone user. I'm new to iPhone. Um, and, uh, oh, this is the hashtag I want to use right here. I'm starting a new hashtag right now. I'm going to use all caps and a little dash so that nobody's confused because people got a little confused when we did this at the earlier gatherings. That's it. That's what I'm Instagramming to the world. Boom. Hello, world. Anybody follow me on Instagram? Do you see me? You got me? Anybody? World? There we are, right there. Yes. Okay, so what did we do? We just got a new hashtag rolling. And the new hashtag is selfie, improve to, in Christ, improve to Christy. I know it's goofy and stupid, but it's kind of cool. I know it's not going to be a worldwide trend, trust me. I know I'm on my own island right here, but I like the island I'm on. Because what I'm saying is, hey, I do not answer the question, who do I think I am, simply by sending you the picture of me and say, look, this is me, because this isn't just me. This is me in Christ right here. This is me, Louis Giglio, in Jesus Christ, joined to Jesus Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not me and a selfie. It's me. It's a Christy. It's Christ and me together, woven together, inexplicably joined together. We are forever together. We are indivisible, me and Jesus Christ. And my identity is wrapped up in his identity. It's not a selfie anymore. It's a Christy now. And I know the Jesus Juke guys are just at the door knocking right now. And that's fine. We'll let them in. But come on, it's the truth. It's the truth. When you put your faith in Christ, and when I put my faith in Jesus, I have been supernaturally joined with Jesus, whereby we are commingled and intertwined into one new identity. I have taken on the traits and the abilities and the accomplishments and the position of Jesus. I'm no longer a selfie with my traits only and my abilities only and my accomplishments only and my position only. I, by faith, have been joined into Jesus. And I now am a partaker of his traits and his abilities and his accomplishments and his position. I'm a Christy now. I'm still me, but I'm me in Jesus. And we're commingled and inextricably interwoven forever. You know what that means? It means that if he rose, I rose. And he rose. It means that if he died, I died. And he died. Because I am inextricably woven together forever with Jesus. What it means is if he's seated on an everlasting throne, hello? No, it's not the clapping part. It's the I'm seated on an everlasting throne. And he's seated on an everlasting throne. If he lives, I live. And he lives. If he wins, I win. And trust me, he's going to win in the end. And I'm commingled and inextricably linked to him. It means if he can, I can. 
It means that if he won't, I won't. See, that's how we move from who we are in Christ to how we walk in Christ. It means that if he's not buying it, I'm not buying it. Because I'm forever linked with Jesus. It means that if he doesn't think it's funny, I don't think it's funny. Because I am by grace through faith linked with Jesus. It means if he's not watching it, I'm not watching it. And if he doesn't want any part of it, I don't want any part of it. If he doesn't think it's a path that leads to life, I don't think it's a path that leads to life. And if he says, this is the way, walk in it, then I say, this is the way, walk in it. If he said, these are the people I want to serve and love, then I say, well, these are the people I want to serve and love. If he says, this is the nation that I want you to sacrifice to reach with the story of the gospel, then I say, this is the nation that I want to sacrifice to reach with the story of the gospel. If he says, these are the ways I want to spend my resources, I say, well, then these are the ways I want to spend my resources because you and me got inextricably linked together by grace through faith. And I'm not just coming in trying to swoop in on all the good parts. I got all of you when I got you. And you got all of me when you got me. And I am now in Christ. I'm not a selfie anymore. I'm a Christy now. If you can accomplish it, I can accomplish it. If you can overcome it, then I can overcome it. If you can rise above it, then I can rise above it. If you can endure through it, then I can endure through it because we're linked together forever and ever and ever. If you can keep holding on to hope, I can keep holding on to hope. And if you can see the light even in the dark, I can see the light even in the dark. And if you believe that God has a future for me, then I believe that God has a future for me. If you believe God can change my destiny, I believe God can change my destiny. If you believe my story can be rewritten from this moment on, I believe my story can be written, rewritten from this moment on because I'm inextricably linked together by faith in, in Christ Jesus. I am in him and he is in me. If you are holy, I am holy. And he is holy. So who do you think you are? Are you in Christ? I mean, we're going to unpack this, and as we do, you're going to see we're blessed in Christ, we're redeemed in Christ, we're chosen in Christ, we're sealed in Christ, we're, we're purposed in Christ. We're going to unpack all of who we are in Christ, but the question tonight is, are you in Christ? That's the most important thing that you think about yourself is whether or not you know that you are in Christ. Not in the building, not in a denomination, not in a church, but are you in Christ? And I believe there are probably people sitting in the room right now who have read the book of Ephesians before, but you're not in Christ. You've heard sermons on the story of Paul before, but you're not in Christ. You've been in a Bible study, you've been in a small group, but you're not in Christ. And the question about your identity, your identity doesn't come from your church or your stream or your denomination or your Bible study or your small group or whatever your belief system is. Your identity comes from whether or not you're still in you or whether by faith you've made the leap into Christ. And without Christ, this is who Paul's gonna tell us who we are. We are still stuck in the generation of our fathers and their fathers, all the way back to Adam and the first man who turned his back on God. 
and we are still stuck in a generation of rebels. We're still stuck in the world. We're still stuck in ourselves. We're still stuck in sin, and we are still stuck in death, and we got no shot with God until, by faith, we make the leap. And we change our identity and gain a new position in Christ. I'll just close and say this is how Paul says it in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ. Okay, so he's telling this Ephesians church. He knows they put their faith in Jesus. And so he says, you're also in Christ. He's saying, you know I'm in Christ, but you're in Christ too. And he's going to remind them how they got in Christ. He said, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's how you get in Christ. You hear the word of truth. Christ came. He paid the price. He stood in our place. He took our wrong. He died for our sin. He was buried, dead, but raised up by the power of God to triumph over sin hell, death, and the grave, and the craziness of a selfish world. He said, you heard that truth. It was the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit, the promised one of God, came into your life and sealed you forever as a son or a daughter of God. And when the Spirit came, it was like the deposit, the down payment, the guarantee of everything God's going to do from this day on until the end of forever. You heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. And when you did, the Holy Spirit came rushing in and everything changed inside and you were united. Jesus and you got a brand new answer to the question who do you think you are I believe that I am in Christ right now and forever that's who I think I am